0: إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدًا عبده ورسوله أما بعد قال الامام البخاري رحمه الله تعالى حدثنا سليمان بن حرب قال حدثنا حماد بن زيد قال حدثنا معبد بن هلال العنزي قال اجتمعنا ناس من اهل البصره فذهبنا الى انس بن مالك وذهبنا معنا بثابت اليه يساله لنا عن حديث الشفاعه فاذا هو في قصره فوافقناه يصلي الضحى فاستاذنا فاذن لنا وهو قاعد على فراشه فقلنا لثابت لا تساله عن شيء اول من حديث الشفاعه فقال يا ابا حمزه هؤلاء اخوانك من اهل البصره جاءوك يسالونك عن حديث الشفاعه فقال حدثنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم قال اذا كان يوم القيامه ما جن الناس بعضهم في بعض فيأتون آدم فيقولون اشفع لنا إلى ربك فيقول لست لها ولكن عليكم بإبراهيم فإنه خليل الرحمن فيأتون إبراهيم فيقول لست لها ولكن عليكم بموسى فإنه كليم الله فيأتون موسى فيقول لست لها ولكن عليكم عيسى فانه روح الله وكلمته فياتون عيسى فيقول لست لها ولكن عليكم بمحمد صلى الله عليه وسلم فياتوني فاقول انا لها فاستاذن على ربي فيؤذن لي ويلهمني محامد احمده بها لا تحضرني الان فأحمده بتلك المحامد وأخر له ساجدا فيقال يا محمد ارفع رأسك وقل يسمع لك وسل تعطه واشفع تشفع فأقول يا رب أمتي أمتي فيقال انطلق فأخرج من كان في قلبه مثقال شعيرة من إيمان فأنطلق فأفعل ثم أعود فأحمده بتلك المحامد ثم أخر له ساجدا فيقال يا محمد ارفع رأسك وقل يسمع لك وسل تعطى واشفع تشفع فأقول يا رب أمتي أمتي فيقال انطلق فأخرج منها من كان في قلبه مثقال ذرة أو خردلة من إيمان، فإنطلق فأفعل ثم أعود فأحمده بتلك المحامد، ثم أخر له ساجداً فيقال يا محمد ارفع رأسك وقل يسمع لك وسلت أعطى وشفعت شفع فأقول يا رب أمتي أمتي، فيقول انطلق. فاخرج من كان في قلبه ادنى 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 مثقال حبه خردل من ايمان فاخرجه من النار فانطلق فافعل فلما خرجنا من عند انس قلت لبعض اصحابنا لو مررنا بالحسن وهو متوار في منزل ابي خليفه فحدثنا بما حدثنا انس بن مالك فاتيناه فسلمنا عليه فأذن لنا فقلنا له يا ابا سعيد جئناك من عند اخيك انس بن مالك فلم نرى مثل ما حدثنا في الشفاعه فقال هي فحدثنا فحدثناه بالحديث فانتهى الى هذا الموضع فقال هي فقلنا لم يزد لنا على هذا فقال لقد حدفني وهو جميع منذ عشرين سنة فلا أدري أنسي, أنسي أم كره أن تتكلوا أن تتكل قلنا يا أبا سعيد فحدثنا فضحك وقال خلق الإنسان عجولا ما ذكرته إلا وأنا أريد أن أحدثكم حدفني كما حدفكم به قال ثم أعود الرابعة فأحمده بتلك ثم أخر له ساجدا فيقال يا محمد ارفع رأسك وقل يسمع وسل تعطى واشفأت تشفع، فأقول يا ربي ائذن لي في من قال لا إله إلا الله فيقول عزتي وجلالي وَكِبْرِيَاءِي wa 'awamati la مِنْهَا مَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَٰهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ This whole hadith here, the sections of it, it is talking about what is known as hadith al-shafa'ah. The hadith regarding the intercession on the Day of Judgment. We spoke briefly about the topic of intercession previously, that there are certain conditions that have to be in place for intercession to be acceptable. They were that it must be by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that Allah must be pleased with the one making the intercession and the one who it is being made for. And how is Allah pleased with them? Or rather, who are the ones Allah is pleased with? The people of Tawheed. The only exception mentioned to that rule is Abu Talib, the uncle of the Prophet that he was allowed to make intercession on behalf of him even though he is not somebody who Allah is pleased with, he died as a kafir. So, intercession can only occur upon that correct method of those two pillars in the affirmative intercession either of those missing, then it will be unacceptable intercession. This hadith talks about that intercession that occurs on that day, that when the calamities of that day occur, the resurrection, and the people, they look at each other, in some of the other versions it mentions, they say to each other, أَمَا تَرَوْنَ ma nahnu Do you not see what calamity we're in? Find somebody who can do intercession for us. So then they go firstly to Adam And they say to him, intercede for us with your Lord. And the meaning of intercession, like we said, is to speak on behalf of someone else. So you put your testimony forward on behalf of somebody else. And that together is then the intercession occurring. The intermediary are now speaking on their behalf. So the people when the calamity occurs and the resurrection and they want to get out of that calamity and everything they see and the terrors and the frights. They say, look, find somebody who can intercede for us with Allah. Speak on our behalf to Allah to remove us from this. So they go to Adam salam and they say, intercede for us with your Lord. But he says to them, I am not the one to do that. But upon you is to go to Ibrahim salam. So because he is the Khalil of Ar-Rahman, the most beloved of Ar-Rahman of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they come to, Adam, علي, uh, to Ibrahim alaihi salam because now Adam السلام, has told them to go there because Ibrahim is the Khalilullah. So they come to Ibrahim alayhi salam and say to him to do the intercession but he says similarly, I am not the one to do that but go to Musa alayhi salam for indeed he is Kalimullah. The one whom Allah spoke to directly. So then they go to Musa alayhi salam and they say the same to him to intercede. But he says again, similarly, I am not the one for that lust laha. Walakin But rather go to Isa alayhi salam. Fa innahu wa Because Isa alayhi salam is the ruh from Allah and the word from Allah. What does that mean? In some English translate, what was you say? Go to Isa because he is... That's okay But in some translations you might see He is the Spirit of Allah Or the Soul of Allah Or along those lines Indicating or as some people then ask Is Isa from Allah? He is the Ruhullah Or Ruh Min Allah Is he from Allah? Of course the answer is no He is from the Souls That Allah created Allah Allah created created the souls souls. So Isa is a soul from those souls that Allah created And it was blown into the womb of Maryam And he is kalimatuhu The word of Allah And that refers to Kun fayakun Be and it is When it was said be and he became so they are told to go to Isa alayhi salam. But again Isa alayhi salam excuses himself also and says that is not for me, but go to Muhammad. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So imagine this now on the day of judgment They go to Adam alayhi salam Then Ibrahim, then Musa, then Isa And then they come in the end to Muhammad Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And he, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Tells them Ana laha That is for me, I can do that This intercession with Allah فَأَسْتَأْذِنُ عَلَىٰ رَبِّي فَيُؤْذَنُ لِي وَيُلْهِمُنِي مَحَامِدَ So then the Prophet ﷺ says that I seek permission from my Lord Permission is granted to me uh, uh, to, to be there, to approach and to ask And then various forms of praises of Allah are inspired upon me That I cannot remember now and that the Prophet Sallallahu says, I cannot remember them now. And then he says, I praise Allah at the time with those praises. And then I fall into prostration. And then it is said to me, O Muhammad, raise your head, speak and you will be heard. And ask, you will be given, intercede and you will have the intercession. So then the Prophet صلى الله عليه says Ya Rabbi Ummati Ummati Oh my Lord, my Ummah, my Ummah فَيُقَالْ إِنْطَلِقِ So then it is said to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم Go فَأَخْرِجْ مَنْ كَانَ فِي قَلْبِهِ مِثْقَالُ مِنْ Go and take out of the fire those with even grains weight. A grain amount of Iman. So the Prophet ﷺ says, I go and I do that. Then I come back and I praise Allah and I fall into prostration again. Then it is said again, O oh Muhammad, raise your head, speak and you will be heard, ask and you will be given, intercede and you will have the intercession. So the Prophet ﷺ says again, this time, my Lord, my Ummah, my Ummah. So then it is said to him, go and remove from the fire those who have even a a, a corn amount, a tiny barley amount of iman. These are descriptions given from barley and wheat and these types of examples to indicate the small grains. A small grain worth of iman in his heart to remove them from the fire. So the Prophet goes and he does that, then he returns back and praises Allah again, falls in prostration again. Again, the same occurs. It is said, O Muhammad, raise your head, speak, you'll be heard, ask, you'll be given, intercede, you'll have the intercession. So then the Prophet says, Ya Rabbi, Ummati, Ummati, my Lord, my Ummah, my Ummah. فَأَخْرِجْ مَنْ كَانَ فِي قَلْبِهِ أَدْنَى 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 خَرْدَلٍ مِنْ إِيمَانٍ فَأَخْرِجُهُ مِنَ فَأَخْرِجُهُ مِنَ النَّارِ then it is said to him go and remove the one who has the, the, the minutest minutest smallest lowest lowest of the grain of iman remove him too. So the Prophet Sallallahu says, he goes and removes them too. This is the intercession in fact, regarding how some of the believers end up in the fire and other believers are seeking intercession for them to be removed from the fire. The other one is the, the narration that talks about the resurrection and the calamity When the same happens, they go to all the different Prophets and Messengers, and it's the Prophet who makes the intercession then too. That is when the resurrection occurs and they see the calamity and they need to get out, they want to get out, and they go to all the Prophets and Messengers. In this version, in fact, it is talking about the fire and the believers who end up in the fire, that they go, the other believers go to seek intercession on behalf of their believing brothers and sisters and in the end it's the Prophet Sallallahu who goes and makes that intercession then there is some background to the narration but then the actual hadith continues to a fourth part after the background uh, story to the narration and he mentions that the Prophet Sallallahu then goes back a fourth time goes back a fourth time and again praises Allah falls into prostration it is said, O Muhammad, raise your head, ask and you'll be heard, or speak and you'll be heard, ask you'll be given, seek intercession and you will have the intercession. So then the Prophet says, I will say, My Lord, Ivan Leafima ilaha illallah. Give me permission, i.e. to remove even those who just said La ilaha illallah. We've already gone past the level of the smallest Iman. Now all that is left is just that bottom line Tawheed, La ilaha illallah. This is a narration that the scholars use as an example to say that Tariq al-Salah, the one who abandons the prayer, is not necessarily deemed as a kafir Because here you got people who clearly... At the absolute bottom level in their Iman, they have the tawhid La ilaha illallah, and that is it. They don't have anything else, yet they are removed from the fire. This is one of the narrations used, anyhow. <inaudible> And then it's mentioned Allah speaks with his mentioning of his attributes and then saying by that might and majesty and greatness that I will remove the ones who say La ilaha illallah. That is one of the famous narrations of intercession and it is one of the key evidences against which group of innovators? The khawarij. That narration there is one of the key evidences against the khawarij. Because one of the key beliefs of the Khawarij is that مُرْتَكِبُ الْكَبِيرَةُ مُخَلَّدٌ فِي النا. That a person who commits a major sin and dies, not having sought repentance, will be in the fire forever. Whereas here, clearly we're seeing people with tiny, tiny amounts of Iman, they are being extracted from the fire, those major sins, other sins do not dictate that a believer remains in the fire forever. Only the action of shirk in Allah. Allah does not forgive that you commit shirk alongside him, but he forgives all else to whom he wills. Uh, at In this world as we know too Repentance, seeking forgiveness Wipes out that which came before it So, this narration is a proof that your sins will not dictate That you remain in the fire forever They are removed from the fire we can see here The Shaykh, al sheik al-Thaymin mentions Wa fihi fa'idah. There is a benefit here أنه لم يذكر أعذار الأنبياء التي اعتذروا بها لم يذكر عذر آدم ولا عذر نوح ولا عذر إبراهيم ولا عذر موسى لأن المقام يقتضي ذلك فإن أهل البصرة في آخر عمره حصل منهم بدع منكره منها بدع الخوارج وبدعة المعتزلة بدعة الخوارج وبدعة المعتزلة ولهذا طوى ذكر الشفاعة العظمى مع ان المراجعه للانبياء انما هي من اجل الشفاعه العظمى ان يقضي الله بين العباد فيريحهم من الموقف ثم اتى الى ذكر شفاء في من دخل النار ان يخرج منها لان المعتزله ينكرونها والخوارج ينكرونها فأراد رضي الله عنه من الذين حدثوا بحديث في من دخل النار يخرج منها يقرروا أن عسات المؤمنين وإن دخلوا النار يخرجون منها This section is talking exactly about that point there. The khawarij and the mu'tazila, they do not accept that the ones who commit the major sins will be saved that they will be in the fire forever. Here, because those innovations arose, he mentions that the companions narrating this narration specifically highlighted the topic of believers being removed from the fire, even though the initial section of the narration, as we mentioned, it is about ash-shafa'a al-Uthma, when the resurrection occurs and everybody uh, wants to be relieved of that difficulty. But they highlighted these points to mention that believers are extracted from the fire with this intercession. They committed sins, major sins, and they ended up in the fire initially, but they did not remain in the fire, refuting therefore the manhaj of the khawarij and the mu'tazila believing that they remain in the fire forever. mas'ala كيف يجمع بين في كل شيء وبين حال اطفال الكفار اطفال المشركين واطفال المؤمنين يمتحنون how do we combine between excuse via ignorance in everything and between the state of the children of the kuffar and the children of the mushrikeen and the children of the believers who will be tested. And what is the difference? The shaykh says, (laughs) أَطْفَالُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ لَا يُمْتَحَنُونَ مَعَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَأَطْفَالُ الْمُشْرِكِينَ يُمْتَحَنُونَ لِأَنَّهُ مَعْرُورٌ وَلَوْ لَمْ يُعْذَرُوا بِالْجَهَلَ كَانُوا مَعَ آبَائِهِمْ حَتَّى الَّذِينَ لَمْ تَبْلُغْه he يوم the فلا بد من الاختبار يوم children of the believers are not tested alongside the believers. the children of the mushrikeen are tested. why? because they are excused. if they were not excused with ignorance, i.e. the children of the Kuffar, then they would have been alongside in the punishment, in that with their forefathers, with their fathers. But they are not. They are separated and they are tested. are times and places where it may be the case that the da'wah did not reach a people and so they are tested also. So the sheikh says no doubt therefore there has to be an exam on the Day of Judgment. Another issue... <inaudible> <inaudible> Mm. the ones who commit the major sins major sins innovations that dictate kufr because innovations you can say are generally two types in that broad category one type of innovation is an innovation but it's not something which declares you to be a kafir other types of innovation are innovations to such an extreme that they are they do declare declare kufr upon the one who does them they dictate kufr upon the one doing them they are acts of kufr bid'a to that level so those who have committed major sins they've done innovations that are considered innovations of kufr then do they exit from the fold of islam yeah, yeah. shaykh al-islam ibn taymiyah says yeah, yeah, yeah. inna al-bid'ah qad takunu mukaffirah qad takunu mukaffirah and he declares on their owners that they are kafir but one does not a kafir by bid'ah kafir so extreme it is considered kafir a group of people are doing this bid'a mukaffira. We say their actions, what they are doing, it is kufar. But we do not say Muhammad and zaid and Khalid and these guys, they are therefore all kufar. Remember, it's one thing saying that an action is an action of kufr, it's another thing saying the person himself is therefore a kafr. There is a gap between the two. One does not equal the other. A person has committed an act of kufr, doesn't equal straight away. He is therefore a kafir. Between him committing the act of kufr and the determination of him being a kafir, there is a gap yet that needs to be fixed, needs to be filled, needs to be taken care of. So it's one thing saying that they've committed a bid'ah which is kufr. It's another thing declaring specific individuals to be kufar. Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 So generally we can say that somebody of that that group of innovation like they are, you can say that that group of innovation is kufar, but then to specify somebody in that group is not. Mm-hmm. Is not can say for example that kufar. But then to specify somebody that may hold a belief in Dijahmi, the we can't then say that. Absolutely. That's like the Rajiva. They say that, some of the scholars say that, same type of thing regarding the rafida Rafila are kuffar. Some scholars say that's it, it stops there. But there are others who may give the same example and say, but a specific Rafidi comes up to you now. Can you instantly say, okay, this man is a kafir? Some say no. But that is a looser example because others, they say, kuffar, kuffar, finished. But in this example of the Jahmiyyah, other people of innovation, what they are doing, what they are doing, he, they are committing acts of kufr. Their bid'ah is a bid'ah of kufr. So they as a whole, as in the statements of Imam Ahmed and others, are kufar. But specifically this man who is from amongst them, walks up to you now, is he a kafir then? That's a specific individual from that group. The group and their actions, kufr kufar, as a general label. But specifically now an individual, then there's that gap that needs to be crossed before identifying an individual and declaring kufar upon him. Hence, you have the statements of the Salaf where they declare the Jahmiyyah and the groups as a whole, as kufar. But then you still have narrations about how the imams prayed behind one of them. So that could be understood in this context, that it's not necessarily complete kufar. Bid'a mukaffira. you would rarely find any narration about the imams praying behind them. But there's an example or there are examples of imams praying behind people who they declared to be generally mubtadi'ah. Because them being mubtadi'ah doesn't necessitate them being kufar. And with the rulers, as long as the ruler is a Muslim, then you still can... Pray behind him. So one thing declaring kufr and kufar as a whole generalizing to another thing saying somebody, him or him is a kafir. And that is something the khawaris and the takfiris don't understand at all. They don't make any differentiation or distinction or understanding between the rulings of somebody committing an act of kufr, but then declaring him instantly kafir. For them instantly kafir. He's drunk alcohol, he's done this, he's done that, kafir, kafir, kafir. And that is where they go astray with their lack of understanding. And that is how all of the people of innovation go astray. Their lack of understanding the Qur'an and the Sunnah as it should be understood. That's where it simply comes down to when we keep saying Qur'an and Sunnah upon the understanding of the salaf of this ummah. All of these deviants out there, none of them have the quran and the sunnah upon the understanding of the salaf of this ummah they do not they have the quran and the sunnah upon the understanding of their misguided deviant teachers upon the understanding of their misguided imams who took from their misguided imams who are upon the methodology of the sha'ira all of these different groups Those individuals do not have the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the understanding of the Salaf. They don't have that correct faham. And that's why Al-Imam Ahmed at the beginning of Rasoolah Sunnah when we studied it, he said our principles are to stick to the companions. He didn't even mention Qur'an and Sunnah. How come? Because everybody will claim and does claim Qur'an and Sunnah. Every individual and deviant, maybe the extreme uh, uh, Qur'aniyun and exceptions, but everybody otherwise, no matter what deviant sect, what do you follow? They will say, Qur'an and Sunnah. So what's the difference then, all these different groups and sects? Everybody says Qur'an and Sunnah. Qur'an and Sunnah, how do you understand this Qur'an and the Sunnah? You understand it with your deviant imam Who learned from deviants, Or do you understand it from The understanding of the salaf That is what differentiates That saved sect <speaking in Hebrew> This ummah was split into 73 sects All of them in the fire except one Qalu <speaking in Hebrew> They said, who is that O oh, Messenger of Allah Al wa ashabi." What I am upon today are my companions, the understanding and the practice that I am upon and my companions are upon. But all of the people of innovation, their understanding and practice is not from there. That's why when we studied Al Wasatiyah many, many years ago, it mentioned in there the names of the groups of innovation. And the names of all these sects, where do they come from? Start with this start with yourselves. Where does your name come from? Ahlul Sunnah wal-Jama'a, Salafiyun Ahlul Athar. What do all of these names mean and where are they derived from? They all indicate that source of knowledge. Ahlul Sunnah the people of Sunnah Wal Jama'ah Unity upon the Aqeedah and understanding. Ahlul Athar, those who follow the narrations, As Salafiyun, upon the methodology of the pious predecessors who took from the Prophet all of those are legitimate titles to that. Whereas the people of innovation, where do they get their titles from? Either their founders or their innovations so you have for example the Qadariyah, known as the Qadriyyah because of their deviation regarding the Qadr. The Ash'a'ira uh, taken from initially the one who is their leader or who they claim to take from Abu Hassan hasan al-Ash'ari so they associate themselves to their leaders or they are associated to their Bidah. Whereas Ahl-Sunnah We are not associated to any leader or any uh, innovation or any practice. We are associated to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, those practicing upon the methodology of the salaf direct. So, he mentions here then, وَذَكَرَ عَلَى هَذَا نُوسُوسًا عَنِ الْإِمَامِ أَحْمَدِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ وَقَالَ لَإِنَّ بَعْضَ هَؤْلَاءِ الْمُبْتَدِعَةِ الَّذِينَ يَقُلُونَ بِالْبِدْعَةِ الْمُكَفِّرَ لَا يُرِيدُونَ مُشَاقَّةَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولَه so even some of the people who committed bid'ah Mukathirah, Kufar type of bid'ah، you still have to fill the gap. What's happened there? Why have they done it? What did they understand? Etc. Etc. Remove the doubts, give the evidences, Etc. until you can establish a definitive ruling. Yeah, definitely is Kafir or no there was this doubt there was that doubt he didn't understand this he didn't understand that he had this intention he had that intention there were different reasons why he ended up in this and that various things could end up in the conclusion that actually he's done a but he's not to be declared a kafir so that is something to bear in mind بنا أفتداد قال حدثنا محمد بن خالد قال حدثنا عبيد الله ابن موسى عن إسرائيل عن منصور عن إبراهيم عن عبيدة عن عبد الله قال, قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن آخر أهل الجنة دخولنا الجنة وآخر أهل النار خروج من النار رجل يخرج حبوا فيقول له ربه ادخل الجنة فيقول رب الجنة ملآة in this narration, he mentions that the last person to enter paradise and the last person to exit from the fire will be a man who exits crawling. What's the word they use? No? Crawling. Exiting, crawling So then his Lord says to him Enter paradise And he will say paradise is full So then it will be said to him three times And every time he repeats again Paradise is full And then it will be said to him Indeed for you is the like of the world 10 times over the point of that narration is what why have we just read that allah says to him affirmation of the speech of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Then, qala hadathana illa فَيَنْظُرُ أَيْمَنَهُ فَلَا يَرَى إِلَّا مَا قَدَّمَ مِنْ عَمَلٍ وَيَنْظُرُ أَشْأَمَهُ فَلَا يَرَى إِلَّا مَا قَدَّمَ وَيَنْظُرُ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ فَلَا يَرَى إِلَّا النَّارَ تَلْقَأُ وَجْهَهُ النَّارَ وَلَوْ بِشِقِّ تَمْرَةٍ قال العمش وحدثني عمرو بن عن ولو بكلمة in this narration it mentions that there is not a single one of you except that your lord will speak to you and there will not be between you and your Lord an interpreter. So that person will then look to his right and he, he his and, he to his and he will see only what he has put forth of his actions. And he will look to his left and he will see only what he has put forth of his actions. And he will look in front of him and he will see nothing except the fire before his face. So then the narration says, Protect yourselves from the fire Even if it be with half a date In the other riwayah Even if it be with a good word A kind word This now then Clear in this one That there is not a single one of you Except that on the day of judgment Your Lord will speak to you And there will be no Interpreter between you and your Lord a clear affirmation of the speech of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Sheikh mentions here Sheikh Al al Ma'aruf. That Allah Azza wa Jal Qaddara maqadir kulli shayin qabla halqi al-samaati wal-azb by 50,000 years. Faa hal nakuul inna Allah Azza wa Jal Qadr annu saufa yuhaddith katha wa yuhadduth katha wakatha mithla hadith shafaa. We know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed everything that is gonna happen fifty thousand years before the creation of the heavens and the earth. So therefore do we say that Allah decreed everything that is gonna happen, for example, what we just saw about them going to Adam and then going to uh, Ibrahim and Musa and Isa Muhammad and all those events occurring, is all of that already written down and decreed that this is how it will be. We already discussed this in detail. The decree section we did in detail. We know that everything is written down and prescribed in the decree up until the day of judgment. All of that is written down in the decree, the Shaykh says, up until the day of judgment. Thereafter, what is going to occur occurs, but the writing is up to the day of judgment. Then, after that, call a Haddafana, Ibn Abi Shayba, call a Haddafana Jarir, and Mansur, and Ibrahima, and Rubeda, and Abdullah, and who call Jarabrun, Minaliahudi, for call in Nahu Ida Kana Yomul Kiyama, Jarallah, who Samawati, Allah Isbah, while Aravina, Allah Isbah. والماء وفر على إصبع والخلائق على إصبع ثم يهزهن ثم يقول أنا الملك أنا الملك فلقد رأيت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يضحك حتى بدت نواجذه تعجبا وتصديقا لقوله ثم قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وما قدر الله حق قدره in this narration it mentions a hadith that we already covered in the earlier parts of the book the narration about how that Jewish man came and he said that on the day of judgment Allah is going to place all of the heavens onto a finger and all of the earth's onto a finger and the water and the vegetation onto a finger and the creation upon a finger then he will shake them and then he will say I am the Malik I am the king I am the king and then he says I saw the prophet sallam laughing until his molar teeth were apparent in amazement at this narration and in belief of this narration that this is how it occurs and then also because the jews who were mentioning this they did not recognize the full power and ability of Allah and so the prophet ﷺ was laughing in amazement at them that they don't seem to realize the power and might and majesty of allah and then he recited and they have not given allah his due right they have not understood the due right of allah wa ma qadara allah haqq qadari along with that qala hadathana musaddad qala hadathana abu awana an qatada an safwan ibn mahriz anna rajulan saala ibn umar kayfa sami'ta rasul allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam yaqulu fi al قال يدنو احدكم من ربه حتى يضعكن كنفه عليه فيقول اعملت كذا وكذا فيقول نعم ويقول عملت كذا وكذا فيقول نعم فيقرره ثم يقول اني سترت عليك في الدنيا وانا اغفرها لك اليوم <coughs> In this narration it mentions how a man came and asked Abdullah ibn how did you hear the Prophet Wasallam explaining a najwa? They say that as, as a najwa, and, uh, and then it mentions he explains that your Lord will come close to one of you until the canaf is placed upon, which means. He will come close, a person will come close to his Lord until he is screened, isolated from the people. Then it will be said to that person, Did you do such and such an action? The person will say, Yes. Did you do such and such an action? The person will say, Yes. The accountability in that form. And so the person will acknowledge all of the things that he did. And then Allah will say to him though, I concealed these shortcomings of yours, these sins of yours in the world, during your worldly life when you did them. I concealed them for you then. And I forgive you for them now. This type of accountability is known as what type? How many types of accountability are there on the Day of Judgment? Something we studied in Usul Sunnah of Imam Ahmed. How many, many types, types of accountability? accountability. Al-Hisab, uh, two. two, and they are? Yeah, yeah. What uh, are the two uh, types? types. Huh? Uh, uh, Detail? Yeah. The yeah. Arabic, Arabic words, words for it? it? For it. Huh? Uh, anybody but what are the words the scholars use to define the two types of accountability on the day of judgment one is the accountability like this you are shown your sins you are shown your actions you acknowledge them all but then Allah says I conceal them for you in the world I forgive you now and he's allowed to pass that's the easy accountability. The other type is, where it's not just this and that, it is exactly, precisely analysis of all of your actions and your sins. That type of analysis, all of your sins, every single thing, every detail, every point is brought up, you will be destroyed. So what are those two types? The first type is known as ardh Ard, that it's a presentation of your accountability, then you're allowed to go. The second type is known as the munaqasha, Man al hisab halaka. Whoever is critically analyzed on his accountability, he'll be destroyed. So one is known as the Ard, and the other is known as the munaqasha. That's where we'll have to round off tonight. Next session we begin regarding Allah speaking to Musa alayhi salam. The event regarding Musa alayhi salam speaking to Allah. Allah speaking to Musa alayhi salam. And then after that it goes on to the topic of Allah speaking to the people of paradise. That Allah speaks to the people of paradise. Those are the next two chapters inshallah we'll begin with next time. Which will now be in two weeks time. Next week is the Birmingham conference, so everybody should try and make an effort to attend the Birmingham conference. Lectures all weekend, Friday onwards, from Juma'a onwards, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three packed days of lectures and talks. All of the students, as well as the Sheikh Salim Mihras in person, so you should definitely try and make that next weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Also bear in mind, after the conference, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, coming up this next weekend, the Monday straight after Monday, 22nd of July, the Sheikh, Sheikh Salim Ba'amahriss, will be coming to Bradford Al Basira. So, four days altogether Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Birmingham, then Monday up here in Bradford at Masjid Al Sunnah Al Basira for Sheikh Salim there also again, Sheikh Salim Ba'amahriss. So, four days that you should put aside into your diaries uh, for that event, for those events. So the Prophet we mentioned in the hadith was allowed to visit the grave of his mother but was not allowed to pray for her, to make dua for her. What is the purpose of his visiting? Firstly, generally, what is the purpose of visiting the graves? Generally, because that we've been told in the sunnah. There's a purpose to visiting the graves and that is to remind you of afterlife, initially in the early stages of Islam, it was impermissible to visit graveyards, because that was the stage, as the scholars mentioned, of a It's the stage of purification. In the olden times, in Jahiliya, they used to go to graves, they used to commit shirk, etc. So when Islam first came, one of the early stages was to prevent any doorway leading back to the shirk that they they used to be upon or those types of things so it was prohibited for them to go to graveyards altogether then when aqidah became established in their hearts the prophet said to them I used to prevent you from visiting the graves, but now go and visit the graves, because they remind you of the afterlife. That is one purpose of visiting the graves. Another purpose of visiting the graves... ...to make du'a for the deceased, to make du'a for them. But you go there, you give salam upon them, and you make du'a to Allah to forgive them, to make du'a to Allah for them. That is another purpose of benefit in visiting the graves. That is generally. Why did the Prophet ﷺ visit his mother's grave? In reality, the answer to that is the answer to anybody why you would visit your parents' graves or any family member's graves. That is just the human nature to visit the grave of your father or your mother or your relative. A person may wish to do that and there is nothing wrong with that. So there is nothing to be taken as such in, in why did the Prophet visit his mother's grave. The Prophet doesn't visited her grave and it's permissible to visit the graves of your fathers and your mothers and relatives. Permissible. Nothing wrong with that at all. Is there an additional reasoning? The reasoning of making dua for your loved ones, going there, asking Allah to forgive them, etc. Of course, in this instance we know because his mother did not die upon that Islam, it was not allowed. But in the instance that your parents are Muslim, for example, then you go and you can make du'a for them, give salam upon them. So that is a general thing. Visiting the graves as a whole and visiting the graves of your family members as long as you do not make it some type of routine. The people have made it a routine to visit their father or their mother's grave on Eid Day. It's Eid day, it's a celebration, it's a day, let me go give salam to my parents as well. Made it a habit and a routine on Eid day. Or a habit or a routine on Fridays. Making habits and routines of visiting graves is not permissible. The only other thing left to discuss on that is women, are women allowed to visit graveyards? You'll have to give some evidences. They're not allowed on the day of the burial. Yeah, the women cannot go in for the burial, but afterwards. Are they allowed to visit graves afterwards? Can they visit the grave of their father, brother, etc. afterwards? Or graveyards generally afterwards? <laughs> Allah cursed, huh? but the Hadith uh, says, If you rewire to Sheikh, Sheikh Ibrahim, Lahan Allahu Za Iraq Al Kubur. Za is not Siratul Mubalah. So it just means anybody. Lakin Hunaka Rewire Ukra, Lahan Allahu. Zuwarat Al-Qubur Excessive visiting And that is where the scholars have differed So some scholars say Look, that narration clarifies The narration about women visiting graves generally That the curse is upon the women who generally visit graves But the other narration clarifies it And says the curse is upon the women who regularly visit graves Hence, some scholars say If a woman goes but not Regularly goes every now and again, then it's permissible. The curse is upon the regular women uh, visiting the graves. Others they say, no, this is not to be taken that way. The hadith, one version is za'irat, and that just means generally any visitation of a woman. Hence, many of the scholars, Sheikh bin Baaz, Al Fawzan, etc., many of them have the opinion that women cannot go to graveyards at all. It is an established opinion of many scholars. But others, also an established opinion based upon the Sighatul Mubalagha, Zubwarat, say a woman can go on the odd occasion here and there, but not to go regularly. We'll have to round off on that for tonight. Inshallah ta'ala, in two weeks time then we'll carry on with the next section.